I've got to tell you a little about Seppo Molelwe because he is a gentleman who loves to stay out of the limelight. You will not see Seppo running off to be featured on the front cover of any of his newspapers, and he owns the uh, biggest newspaper group in the country. You will not see him bragging about the investments that he made in Capitec. As I, I mentioned earlier this morning, the first chunk was at 30 Rand. The second chunk, he doubled up at 300 Rand after it was already a 10-bagger. It's now sitting at uh, 2,200 Rand. The ownership is 7.7%, and it doesn't take much maths to work out that that comes to a, a valuation of 18 billion Rand. So it's been an extraordinary journey. But Zeppo grew up in Mamelodi. In Mamelodi, his mother had the foresight to send him to school in. Cape Town, well in the in the Western Cape, on the was it on the flats was it? Uh, Kales River, Kales River, Kales River. So he's got a bit of Cape in him and a bit of uh, Gauteng in him as well. He then went to university, Rhodes University, was selected to be part of the class of by First Rand, which is quite an extraordinary school. Paul Harris at first round at RMB decided that he wanted to put together some, some elite troops, if you like, for the group. And he, had a, he has a class of every year, or certainly did when he was working there. And in the class of year that Seppo was a member, it's a very small little team, other members of the team were Michael Jordan, who's quite well known, and Herman Bosman, who's now the CEO of the company that looks after all the assets of the founders of first round. Seppo then went off to the PIC, where he worked for a period of time. He will tell you privately that the public sector wasn't really his game. Uh, and he had an idea at that point that Africa needed infrastructure. And he began Harris, which is today one of the major infrastructure investors in Africa. Back then it was the major, the infrastructure investor, because not too many people were interested in it. He raised money from the likes of JP Morgan, Citibank, some South African organizations as well to invest in infrastructure projects on the continent. And all, we all know that you can't get an economy going without infrastructure. And infrastructure, we all know, is an incredibly long-term game. It takes a long term. Amongst the, the assets that you probably know is Lanseria Airport, which is part of the Harris Group. And as I mentioned earlier, he was then involved in the early stages of investing in Capitec, and subsequent to that, acquired a, a slice of EOH uh, after the crooks had left. He is uh, recently where, where we uh, got together was he was uh, accused by Bantu Holomisa of doing some uh, things that he didn't do, well, certainly not from what I understand, because I've gone through all the documents and looked at the at the motivations and the uh, approach was taken was not just naive but almost mischievous on the side of Holomisa, but that's the, court, the, the, the subject of a defamation uh, action, which continues. Uh, I suggested at the time to Tsepo that defamation was not ever a good idea, and he said, no way, uh-uh, this, this, we've, we've got to attack this, and he has, and he's, he was right. And 
uh, as I said earlier, he's also my business partner uh, in BizNews. So a shareholder of BizNews, uh, the owner of Arena, which is the owners of the Sunday Times, and uh, Financial Mail, Business Day, newspapers, also in the Eastern Cape, and yet probably uh, not someone that you've heard of yet. Zippo, I know the, we haven't even touched on it, but South African Airways. Mm. <laughs> uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Zippo's consortium has just acquired 51% control of South African Airways. And, you know, why bother? <laughs> why bother with all the trouble that you've had to pick up on that? What, what motivated you there? That one gave me a headache. <laughs> but my wife says I love it. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, when you don't have a rich uncle, you try to look for cheap stuff. You try to look for value assets that you can build, where there's an opportunity to turn things around. I think when people see SAA, they see, a, uh, they see corruption, they see something that's very dysfunctional, and they see all those bad things, and which is true, that's what happened. I think Wayne sort of like told us all those things that happened. And then, uh, but also, that is SAA as a business as it was run then. But if you look at our portfolio, we've had assets, you know, within the aviation sector. Uh, besides, you know, Lanceria, you know, we've had uh, exposure to assets in North Africa, in, in Tunisia, you know, uh, Long ago, I think in the uh, like 29, 2009, 2010, we tried to go into like you no know, uh, 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 plane leasing and stuff like that. So, so we've been like looking at this for a while. But the other truth of the matter is that like even before SAA, we actually bid for Kome. So it was not something that we just went for this. It was a well thought through issue. And if you look at like, you know, what happened to airports, what happened to airlines, and what happened to prices, and since we had airports, I, I thought that, like, you no, know, look, it would be a, perhaps, you know, with COVID happening, there might be an opportunity in terms of combining, you know, bombs on seats with flow through of airports. And also, looking at, you know, what happened to prices of, uh, within the sector, it might be the best sort of like time for entry in terms of some of the assets than what one would have, uh, has ever had, you know, within our sort of like, you know, uh, lifetime. So I thought like this is, a, this is a great opportunity from an entry point of view. And there are, numerous opportunities of profitable, successful airlines all over the world and in South Africa. Kome itself for 70 years was profitable. So I felt that if we could like combine that with some of like our aviation assets, I think 
it would be a great sort of like no asset. But and also in addition to that, maybe for you coming, you know, I, you know, we are, we pan African players, and I I believe that SAA is not just a Cape Town, Johannesburg, Durban sort of like thing. I believe that SAA is much and the airline business or that SAA is much more attuned to being a regional sub-Saharan player as opposed to just a South African player. And for the, where the industry is at, it was not gonna, there was an opportunity for a brand like that to be resuscitated to consider that opportunity. And with our ambitions and all our other infrastructure assets that we had, that was the play. And that's, that, that's what drove that. I, I really urge you to listen carefully because I, I, I know Tepo well enough to know that he's talking, it's long-term stuff and often what we read in the media, this was a government installed, initiated, friendly deal. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to go there but what I am, what I am going to just, just ask you about is, a, is kind of a bigger picture. When, when you got involved with Arena, the newspaper mm -hmm. company. They'd gone through how many years of retrenchments? It, I think it was three or four years. Every year they had retrenchments. Mm -hmm. And when we walked into the building, mm -hmm. I remember on the very first day, mm -hmm. Tepo spoke to the assembled staff, maybe eight, nine hundred people. He said, first thing, there will be no more retrenchments. Mm -hmm. Why did you do that? I mean, I know why you did that, but perhaps you can explain that point of view. Because here you have a, a contracting industry you have a new owner, you have a hostile group of people, initially anyway, until they believed you. And then you say to them, right off, no more retrenchments. Of course, COVID happened. You saw what happened with other media companies. Why, Tsepa? What was, what, I know you as, a, as, a, as an authentic entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and yet most entrepreneurs would have gone into a business and the last thing they would say is something of that nature. I think when we got into into arena previously, this what we found that was a look. I think first and foremost, the from a human capital point of view, that was totally neglected. So therefore, the the the, the, the people were totally disengaged. But uh, from an industry point of view, people were saying, "Why are you dying a buying a dying business?" But our information tells us that media is not dying, it's just consumed differently. And the consumption of media is actually is, is dying. So the way we were going to look at this was that like, if we could sustain the revenue at the current level for at least the next five years, and we structured the business into like from an uh, uh, entry point of view, in terms of let's say like you no, know, our the way we structure our money getting in is that if we can just sustain the revenue for the next five years, whilst we pivot it to a digital sort of like era, you know, we think this is a great platform. But when we also like bought the business, people thought it was just a publications business. You know, within Arena, there's a whole host of other businesses. There's there's TV, there's events, there's production businesses, there's uh, music, and there's, uh, you know, 
I mean, Arena also like brings in 40% of the movies that come into the country. You know, it uh, 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 makes some like local films, like indigenous films and all that. So, uh, so we thought if we can just like uh, sustain that for the next five years, whilst going through this restructuring, we think this is a great business to to be sort of like do that. And then we think that like you know, whilst we uh, doing that and win the you know, win the why, 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 what you call the change room. You know, it's a way to sort of like get the energy back in, believe, make the people believe in this. It's a, and uh, it, it's a great business to sort of like do that. But more than anything, it was not for what it stood alone. It's for what we could like make the connections into our, our other platforms and what those sort of like looks like. Because like uh, uh, when we bought Arena, you know, I went to the to the one person who I thought like no knew more that I trusted about media. I, I asked Alec to be our consultant <laughs> because you know uh, when it came to media, the you know the one person I thought like that I knew, you know, believed in uh, the issue of like listening to both sides and being fair and about justice. And when I said, when we offered everybody a chance to come and listen to the story, only one person showed up to look at everything, and it was Alec. And since that day, I think that's what sort of like, you know, made me sort of like build up that. And for me, that, that, uh, that, that meant a lot. So we, we felt that like this, we took a long-term view, a five-year view to say to turn around and do all that. And whilst you're doing that, you could not do it around in an environment whereby you know there was still negative negativity or people didn't believe in what you were doing. And then, but then also you had to show a long-term commitment to what you were doing, so that it was not like you coming in, adopting a same view of saying you know you're gonna strip it further, get your cash out, or like you know use it as a, like a, a cash cow to do anything or like you know. so. And, and that's a view I sort of like tend to take. And so like because, uh, and that medium term view tends to like make people not think about the next paycheck or the next day. It makes your thinking process much better from even your competitor's point of view. That like, you no, know, whilst they're thinking they're in the dining industry, you're thinking about other connections. So that's the way I wanna look at things. Just improve your thought and your planning process around that. It, it, it's sad that when you say that, nobody believes you. But now, yeah. you're looking back on time, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite apparent. But even with, yeah. the, with, with the airline industry, I think it's, it's the way we're looking at it. We're saying, like, you know, what can this look like about in five years? And I can even assure you to that what we're looking at now, I can definitely assure you like what it will look like in the next three years. It will definitely be a different entity. Yeah, just ignore the noise. No, It's very it's difficult, like but we try to do that. <laughs> okay, do we have... Uh, Questions? I know we do have microphones. There we go. Anybody else question? Just put your hand up and the microphone will arrive. Cameron from Durban. Cameron Mangard. So obviously the Capitec investment for you was instrumental for your growth journey. I mean, I was just doing the quick maths. You invested 10% for 30 million and obviously you've trimmed that position down to 7.7% as Alec said. So that's worth over 18 billion now. My question is specific to Capitec. You've obviously trimmed your position. 
What do you see the future of Capitec like compared to other banks? And do you see it maintaining its competitive mode? And where do you see Capitec in the next 10 years or so? Uh, luckily, I don't sit on the board of Capitec. I'm just like any other investor. Uh, I had the fortune of sitting on a Capitec board, I think uh, initially for about four years or so. Then like I think when my in engagements increased, then I sort of like stepped down. But I had the fortune of seeing the Capitec management and culture at play and the way they look at things and then the way they focus and then the way, the way they, they use technology and uh, also the way they focus on the customer and the value add and the value for money proposition. I think they will continue to do that. I think for many years, if you look at what they did, they, they didn't, they just focused on delivering what they were very good at to the customer. They were very gung-ho in terms of like that. They were not stuck with uh, legacy sort of like you know, issues that the rest of like the, the banks had. They only had one head office in Stellenbosch, unlike you know, the other banks into like all the legacy issues they had to do, even from a technology point of view. And if you look at what they've done in the past, I think three years, into like the additional sort of like you know, value propositions they've offered to their sort of like customers. You can see that they've really like, you know, you know uh, changed and kept up to uh, uh, date with being like, you know, uh, uh, offering more value to their, to their customers. And, you know, in uh, like in 20, what, it was about 2015, I think the, the price was about, what, 400, about 400 bucks or so. And then like, you know, I had to select chairs like, you know, to restart again and build up a new platform on the back of that. And people are wondering like, no, but it's already had its run. For me, it was more of a long-term play. And yeah, I got a problem of loyalty too. So it worked for me. And then again, it was not, and then, uh, but I think that you have a team that's still sitting with more flexibility and you have a team of guys who've worked with each other for a long time. We've been able to also like transition, you know, management and CEO and keep uh, that innovative sort of like culture going. And if you look at the transition, I think from Michiel to, uh, to, to, to Rian Starson to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to Harry now, and then uh, if you also like look at now, after about like what, 22 years or so, like you know, um, the, the current CFO is going, and then you're having a new CFO going. They've, and, and the depth of their uh, knowledge about the customer and, uh, and the brand and what the brand, I think they will keep that up for a while. But then the continuous sort of like, uh, and what they also in the background are looking at, I think they will be able to do that. You know, if at the time, you know, when I sat on the board, you know, you'd have Rian telling you about the competitors and what they are doing and what 
in the next six months or two years, which of the competitors would like, you know, would have folded over because of what they're doing in the market. So their assessment and uh, appreciation of what they're doing, I think is very much, and the use of data and information, I think, that, I think they will do that for a while. And I think to the extent that the other sort of like banks in the current market are failing to uh, catch up. It's still, uh, Capitec still represents value. They have now bought uh, Mercantile Bank, so therefore like you know, increasing their value proposition. And I'm a big believer in like, you know, the small and medium business financing sector. And I think, you know, when they get that sector right, I think that's the next explosion, so like in the South African so like sense. And I'm a big supporter of them having done that because I think South Africa needs that. It's like, you know, if you look at what them what Capitec has done for like, you know, provi uh, opening up banking for, for, for the mass market. And if they can do that for the mass market in business, imagine what that can do for South Africa. So for me, that's a big deal. So in that regard, I'm a big supporter still. And just for that good part, I, I think I remain a, 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 a supporter and a holder in that regard. Cameron, in our, in our last, business portfolio, uh, I said that the big mistake that we made in the last few years is not adding Capitec and transaction capital into that portfolio. We're going to make, we're going to fix that soon. Uh, and at these levels, uh, th that, that would be from our assessment anyway, is that Capitec has still got a long, long way to go. There's another thing I like about Capitec. I think at the center, it's got a very focused, uh, group of a core that is holding together. I think there's one other bank which at the core is holding together. Look at the other banks. My take is that at the core, they don't have that. So I think in itself, that is an opportunity. <laughs> Always looking long term. Final question. No hands? Can I have the final question then? Oh, there is, what, there is a hand here. Right. Sepo, hello. My name's Georgie Carter. Um, and I, I couldn't let the opportunity pass, but many of us in this room are small entrepreneurs unlike you. Um, so I'm, I'd, like I'm to ask, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to ask your opinion on what advice you would give to us in terms of what opportunities you still see in South Africa if we did want to keep money here and if we did want to invest in the future, the long-term future of South Africa. Uh, I told you my father was Chinese, right? <laughs> So I, I come from that sort of like you no know, small, small business. And when, when, when I when I meet my father was Chinese, like you know we, it was not really Chinese. That like you no, know, we used to run five years at home. So that's all. <laughs> so the and and that, uh, I used to like you know, maybe drive taxi during the holidays and stuff like that. I believe South Africa needs 
a big focus on small and medium business growth. There's a whole lot of opportunities, and I think we need to be sort of like uh, given much more support than what it's than what it's getting right now, especially from a capital access from a uh, uh, point of view, and but it's also like going to take a lot. It, it's also difficult. Because I think we also do need, I think, from a public sector, from a government point of view, to get its act together to ensure that the sector, the, the, the but sector. What does Georgie you know, do? Right? What from her side? Mm -hmm. Forget, forget the. You know, you yeah. look at the landscape. You say. Yeah. You got to deal with the cards you got. The cards you got, you can't wait for government. We'll yeah. wait forever. Yeah. What, what advice would you give her? In terms of, I think the opportunity for, for, for small business, well, what would I, well, what would I invest in, or what, what is it that I would start? I'm just trying to understand. Okay, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you my, my yeah. take, and then maybe we can. We yeah. can build on that. Mm. My take is that if you're an entrepreneur, South Africa is the mm. land of great opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you work for a corporate, South Africa is not such a great place. Mm -hmm. um, if, you, if you're a professional, maybe also okay. But I can understand when people emigrate, I don't like it. I actually hate it because we've got so few people who pay a bulk of the tax in the country. But if they emigrate because they're going to be, uh, I mean, poor old bankers, you know, they're going through the bank organization hierarchy. Yeah, I get that. But if you're an entrepreneur and you emigrate from this country, you got it, you got rocks in your head. Because the opportunities exist everywhere. Everywhere. And I think that's what you've shown as well in the in the way that you scan the landscape. I know Tepo's an entrepreneur. I mean he's, he's very modest. But entrepreneurs are people who go all in on things. Mm. They they take a that take a calculated risk and I think that's really the kind of insights that mm. that she wants to get into that part of your brain mm. I yeah I, I tend to sort of like look for uh, for, for for things where people I don't know maybe like I my my my, my appetite for risk tends to be a bit I think higher but it's not that I think it's not necessarily that the risk is higher I, I tend to perhaps go and look at what, uh, uh, what is it that perhaps that people are not looking at, which could be a bit, you know, on the left flank, which then represents a, a, an opportunity. What is it that I can do differently to what the rest of the market is not looking at? What I, I, I tend to also say, bring a little bit of my, I put my, my soul and heart into things, you know, my own differentness in, into a factor, so that like, you know, I think that uh, everything is, 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 is copyable these days. You, you can copy things very quickly, a, a, a manufacturing process, a marketing gimmick, a, a whatever. And like, you know, to get that sort of like comparative edge, is that what is it that I can do that makes me or that process, but that unique, that I can sustain that competitiveness longer than anybody else. Because whatever I'm gonna do, 
you know, I'm competing with everything and anybody from anywhere, and even a guy from China that I don't know or have never sort of like met. So I tend to like look at that thing wherein I can bring in some small element that gives me an edge that like brings a, a unique proposition that is just outside of that because, you know, everything is being disaggregated to its lowest sort of like uh, common sort of thing. So therefore, what is it that I can compete that you can't get from Google for free from that point of view and that I can do for value in, in that regard? And, and the other, uh, just to close off with it, uh, the other great differentiator mm. is thinking long term. The world thinks short term. South African, South African business thinks incredibly short term. Many businesses that you compete with, they're just seeing how quickly they can make money and shovel it offshore. Mm. The long term nature of an, an entrepreneur is a builder. Mm. It's a long term nature. It's, mm. it's yes, your risk mm. tolerance has to be higher. But, but I've seen that mm. from you. Is that mm. you, yeah. you know, it, it, if you take a view of five years, you're already differentiating yourself from every single competitor in your field in this country. And that's why I, I feel so strongly that it's a great place to be yeah, in I business. Think, well, what, what infrastructure investing has taught one is that how then do you put up something that must be there and be sustainable even beyond, even beyond you? And uh, it has also filtered into everything, the choosing of, of partners long term that you don't lose value. There. So, I think that long-term play thing, and it also like even makes you much more circumspect in then choosing that this I will work with and this I won't work with. Uh, so I think that for, for has, has been one. So that long-term thing, it's true. It's uh, uh, and also because like it makes it a bit longer to choose some things, but then it like uh, it, it tends to be a differentiator as opposed to, like and a quick in and out sort of like view but and it's difficult in a very turbulent environment or a very volatile environment like South Africa where it's like say you know you're always anxious about getting in and out but it, it's a discipline I think which in the long term sort of like I think tends to make you win the game the war yeah. because you tended to like you know uh, put your planning in a way that uh, out 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 uh, outlives or outruns your competitor from a planning point of view in terms of like sustainability. Tepo, thank you.